You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Friday, 25 November, one month till Christmas. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. Uh, Tuesday, Better Investor Conference, full day of online conferencing. You'll find details at moneyweb.coza. On the show today, I'm chatting with Muteta Tulari from RMB. Strong rand and MPC rate decisions. I want to dig in. How much is sort of the, the MPC and, 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 and pushing the rates higher? How much does that drive our currency or that perhaps totally unusual? Related, And then we're chatting with uh, Vusi Mkhlangu, um, talking around the, the economic importance and, and economics, I suppose, of student accommodation, but also their mezzanine financing. What do they look for? How do they do it? How does it work? And then some thoughts for me on using the peg ratio to value growth stocks. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Stefan Nuti stocks secures 110 million from ESCOM for disputed work at Kalisa. Hundreds of millions in further claims against the power station, according to Stefan Nuti stocks. Uh, News 24, former Steinhoff boss Marcus Jester to go on trial in Germany next year. He would, of course, be in, stem, in, in, in abstention. He is not going to go to Germany to face trial, but they will proceed without him. Morning markets. Uh, US was closed last night for Thanksgiving. Today is a half trading day, so volumes will remain light. Uh, Asia is green with Sydney up 0.2 of a percent, uh, and Tokyo up a third of a percent. Commodities mixed overnight, but no real moves. Gold, 1,772. Brent, 85.29. Platinum, 998 an ounce. And palladium, 1,884. Rand, 17.03. Bitcoin, 16,500. Tencent trading down 3.7% in Hong Kong. And top 40 opening call, red open, down 300 points or almost half a percent. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Taking now with uh, Mateta Tulari, head of FX Execution at RMB. Mateta, we had the the MPC yesterday uh, voting on uh, the repo rate, which of course flows into Prime, up 75 basis points, taking Prime to 10.5%. And, and I don't think a surprise, but certainly a pain for, for South African consumers. We're seeing the rand a lot stronger. Is there some sort of correlation between it, or is it really just a case of of, of we're seeing dollar weakness and and there's no real link between our rates and and currency? Good morning, Simon. I suppose. Look, I mean, if anything, it uh, was one of those situations where the decision was primarily in line with expectations. Mm. I think the balance on the committee tilted to more a dovish turn this time with two members obviously wanting a 50 basis point increase and the calls for um, 100 basis points at the last meeting really gone. So I think if anything, Lesetja Khanya obviously highlighted the risks about the inflation forecast, which was raised slightly for next year, especially food prices. But I mean, if you think about the RAND, you know, it's quite interesting because it does look like more like a, a dollar weakness story. I mean, the Fed has flagged concerns about a possible U.S. recession and obviously sentiments that, um, you know, we could see the, the the Fed also wanting to temper the hiking cycle. But I suppose when you look at the RAND front, it's been quite an interesting one because just a few weeks ago, the year to date, 
um, you know, performance for the RAND was about negative uh, 9%. Now we've actually retraced with all this RAND strength to about minus 6.3%. So obviously quite some good returns on the RAND, but also when you look at the month-to-date performance for the RAND, we're actually the best performing emerging market currency, having returned about 7.8% against the dollar uh, just in the emerging market space. But don't forget, there is quite a lot of risk as we go into into December. There's US CPR on the 13th of December. The next day, it's mm-hmm. the last Fed mm-hmm. meeting of the year. And then also, you know, two days later, you have the much-anticipated ANC elective conference with results expected around the 18th or the 19th of December. And then two days later, you've got the local CPI numbers. And obviously, that will factor through into what Lesa Chakanyaho and team start thinking about in the new year at their January MPC meeting. So it is quite a lot. And obviously, I think also when you look at the seasonality effect of the RAND in December, it yeah. is also something that is very interesting as well. Yeah, and you've made that point before. The rain, <clears throat> there is that seasonality. The rain tends to strengthen. But I mean, I'm quickly looking at the at the euro dollar, and that was, you know, that was actually below parity at one point, down at 96. Now back at 104. We're seeing a general US dollar weakness, and of course, uh, the the rand is, is part of that basket. Hundred percent. I mean, and I mean, as we say, you know, across the board at this point in time, it does feel like um, <clears throat> you know a lot of uh, dollar weakness across the board. But as you say, um, you know, the December effect of the rand. I mean, we, we've constantly been looking at this data since 1990, mm-hmm. and on average, we find that the rand tends to weaken in the early part of December before aggressively rallying from the 20th uh, of December right into the early part of January. I mean, you know, in two-thirds of the years, we've seen the rand, the rand strengthen between the 20th and the 31st of December for about a 1.2% rand gain uh, with further marginal gains coming in the first four days of January. So I think the seasonality, you know, is mainly attributed to two factors. The rand liquidity will obviously tighten at the end of the year because, uh, you know, a lot of companies are closing down. But also the structure of South African companies is that, you know, a lot of our companies are exporting and they tend to be large in nature. I mean, if you think about the resources companies, they yeah. tend to be large in nature and they operate throughout the holiday season whilst a lot of the importers tend to be smaller in size uh-huh. and they close and they close for the holidays, obviously implying a lack of dollar demand. So I think if anything, <clears throat> it is going to be quite interesting as we go into the close of uh, the year, especially with the risk factors that we are we have mentioned earlier. But don't forget, there's still other issues behind the scenes such as the COVID cases out in China, which will obviously Mm. be quite interesting given the fact that we've seen record numbers uh, coming up from there and also uh, the geopolitical tension out in Eastern Europe. I mean, that is now a good 10 months into all of this and obviously that will also play a part in terms of energy prices, especially with the sanctions that are coming through for Russia as we start December. So quite a lot in the mix and I think obviously this is going to play into how the RAND uh, closes off the year. Yeah, a lot in the mix. I'm quickly looking at the RAND chart. I mean, we were, what, almost 18.50, and here we are at 17. Man, when that RAND moves, it moves. Rattlesnake. It just rattlesnakes both ways. Mateta Tulari, Head FX Execution RMB. Appreciate the early morning insight, as always. And that is our poll today. What, what are you thinking around the currency? Where does it go against the US dollar? That next move, is it going to strengthen a lot, maybe a little? Or perhaps it's actually just, this is it, and we're going to go back to that 18.50 level. Have your vote. Have your say. LinkedIn and Twitter.
There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Shailen now with VC Mechlangu. He is a partner at uh, Timelop Capital Part- Partners. Uh, VC, appreciate the early morning time. Uh, you, you and your team uh, have recently provided some capital for student accommodation in, in Stellenbosch. This is purpose-built for students. I'm seeing a lot of it uh, up my PR in Johannesburg, around Brumfontein, uh, UJ, and, and Vitz, where actually a fair bit has been focused on, on dedicated student accommodation. Good, uh, good morning. Um, yes, you are correct. I think these are purpose-built uh, student accommodations for students who are mostly at universities. And what that means is that it provides an all-inclusive uh, facility for a student. So things like internet, um, mm-hmm. uh, study areas, uh, transport, uh, security. Um, so those are some of the things that make this slightly more different to just any normal flat which has been uh, has been converted. So if you actually go to one of those facilities, it has a feel and look of being actually inside a student residence, um, as opposed to just renting a flat that is close to a um, a university. Yeah, and, and in this case, I mean, the accommodation is called the digs, which kind of sums it up perf- perfectly. And from from a from an investment perspective, I, I mean, you know, I mean, accommodation, uh, uh, shelter, call it as you will, is is typically fairly resilient. We all need to live somewhere. I imagine uh, student accommodation even more so. I mean, you put it right next to the university. There's always going to be new students every year. It's going to be a a fairly resilient, notwithstanding the the pandemic that we saw in 2020 and 2021. Outside of that a fairly resilient sector to, 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 to operate in. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's quite interesting, even, even in the height of the pandemic, even though students were not going on campus, one would have expected them to want to go back home mm-hmm. and actually didn't want to go back home. If you just imagine that you've got an 18-year-old who's been looking forward to leaving <laughs> home to go stay on their own, so the attractiveness of actually having your own space and the fact that this accommodation caters for all of the student needs actually made it very resilient during COVID. So we found students who stayed, they had access to the internet, there is a community around, and so you could actually have as normal a life as one could have uh, even during, uh, during COVID. I think the income, absolutely, it is not correlated to most properties. Um, the modules there, some of them charge over a 12-month period, some mm-hmm. charge over 10 months, but there is a general um, requirement or general occupants that are quite high. Uh, I think the days at some stage were close to 100% in terms of occupancy, occupancy rates. And, 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 and your, the investments that you make from uh, Tamila Capital Partners, you're doing, this is debt funding, not, not, not equity at all? That is, that is correct. So if you just think about um, South Africa and the world, mm. I think debt or private debt is one of those uh, asset class that is gaining a bit of momentum. Um, so we're not uh, equity providers. 
but we are actually uh, debt providers. And we require those entities or those businesses where the party has capital and the bank is willing to give them some capital, but there's a shortfall. And unfortunately, with a shortfall, you can't not complete the project or you cannot complete the acquisition or you cannot buy the plant because you're short of 10, 20, 30% of what's required. And this is precisely where we come in. We want to provide that uh, additional funding that otherwise you wouldn't be able to raise from a traditional bank and also using your own equity or even selling uh, selling shares to raise uh, to raise that capital. Okay, because I was wondering about where you how you sort of fitted in with the banks. Do, do you then work with the banks, or are you still working with the the, the companies? They would, for example, a, a bank would say, "Well, he has seventy percent," and then they would approach you, or, or do the do, do the banks kind of work in in, in, coho- in, in cohorts with you? It's a combination. It's a combination of both. Um, on some of the transactions that we look at, uh, the party will come to us and say, "I've raised seventy percent from uh, from the bank." I need um, 30. Mm-hmm. On that 30, I've got 10 of my own. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. On some of the transactions, we are the ones who take to the party. This is how much we can provide. How much do you have? And jointly, let's go approach a bank to see if we can unlock or raise uh, senior senior funding. So our model is quite flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we work with, uh, we do both uh, of those uh, those models. And and your 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 criteria your key criteria for investing. I mean, obviously, you want return on capital. You need certainty of 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 the ability to 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 pay back. But there must be sort of I suppose certain sort of tick boxes almost. You know, management perhaps maybe certain sectors that you like to operate in. I think you've actually highlighted what I think is probably the more important aspect of what we do. I think there is two aspects. There's the qualitative stuff. Mm-hmm. And the quantitative stuff. I think the quantitative, everybody understands numbers, modeling. Yeah. But I think the qualitative is where we spend a fair bit of focus and energy just trying to make sure that, firstly, do we understand the space? Do we understand the management team? Um, and is it the management team that we think over the next five to six years we could, uh, we could work with them? So our starting point is precisely there. So we spend a fair bit of time looking at their background, who they are, what they've done, what they want to do. And then once we are comfortable around those qualitative aspects of a management team and the business, only then do we go and look at the, at the numbers. And we do have, obviously, parameters that we want to look at. One of the important ones for us is valuation. Um, if you can imagine where we play in the capital structure, um, going back to that example of the 70% being senior and the 30% mm-hmm. needs to be funded, it makes a big difference what that 30% or what that 100% is worth. Um, and so we do spend some time making sure that we have an understanding of how that company's value, how that project is going to be funded from a cost point of view, just to make sure that what we're putting in is actually not overpaying for, for an asset. Yeah. There's a good saying that uh, you make money when you exit an investment <laughs> as opposed to when you make the investment. And so we firmly believe in that philosophy. I, I like the point. And I like the point. People first, numbers second. They're both very important, but people first and then the numbers. We'll leave it there. Fusi Mkhlangu is a partner at uh, Tamilog Capital Partners. Appreciate the early morning insights. Hear that?
nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Some Friday thoughts on, on using a peg ratio for, for valuations, um, particularly in, in, in growth stocks. There's lots of ways we can value a company. And of course, there's uh, discounted cash flow, the DCF, the, the Gordon Dividend, and, and they're all perfectly good in varying degrees of, of, of complex. Of course, your, your big issue there is you know, they need to be paying a dividend for it to work. There needs to be uh, strong cash flows for them to work. And, and at the simplest level, of course, there is the PE ratio, the, the price to earnings. In other words, quite simply what is the share price what is the earnings or headline earnings per share and you get that multiple uh, lower is typically better but with lots of t's and c's but with high value growth stocks and, and i'm thinking particularly of the tech stocks in the u.s some of them profitable some of them only just profitable uh, some promising profits in time to come the, the the whole pe starts to fall apart in a sense because that pe can be massively high uh, because earnings are in their infancy and they haven't yet come through i remember capitec sitting on pe's of over 100 in fact if i recall correctly uh, during the 2008 uh, crisis uh, 150 on the on the capitec pe and you look at that and you would intuitively think yeah, that's terrible. Don't want to touch it. Not interesting. But that's where the PEG ratio comes in. So PEG says, sure, we use the PE ratio and we divide that into the expected future growth in earnings. Sounds a little complicated, but let's say we go to PE of 30 and you think headline earnings per share is going to be up 45%. So you divide the 30 into the 45, you get 0.66. Number below one, that says, hang on, there might actually be some value here. Making it even simpler, what you're looking for is your expected growth in headline earnings per share, the number needs to be higher than that PE number. So if you've got a PE of 50 and the company's growing at 75% or a PE of 20 and the company's growing at 30% a year, suddenly you look at that and you say, hang on, there might actually be some value here. Yes, those PEs can be eye-wateringly high, but it gives you an indication of value. It's not perfect. No valuation methodology is perfect. But using this, I think, would have kept a lot of us out of a bunch of those half-flying tech stocks. And it doesn't mean we wouldn't have bought them. We just would have at some point said, nope, that level is too eye-wateringly high for us. We had stocks on 300 PEs with 50% growth expected. Those numbers simply don't add up. So peg ratio, useful way, particularly for those high-growth stocks. That's it for today. We were chatting with Mia Kruger yesterday around NASPAS. We touched a bit on the results. Uh, uh, take a lot, continue to lose money. But really, NASPAS remains the story is Tencent. And we asked if you hold that giant of a stock in your portfolio. Uh, a third of you were saying, yep, you absolutely do. And you, you wanted for that Tencent exposure. Uh, Amir was making the point that this was you know, basically getting Tencent at a fairly chunky discount. A quarter of you said you, you hold it, but it's because you have local ETFs, a, a RAFI, a top 40 or an Indy perhaps. Uh, the rest of you were saying, nope, thanks, but not for you. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. 
Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the Money Web website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is Money Web Now. We'll chat again Monday. We're talking living annuities. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.